I uh, try to try to explain your your heart and your will, uh, and and you know try to try to bring Jesus out for folks to to know better. I pray that people who are here would hear from you that that your spirit would be in in the the folks who are hearing my voice and in me that I wouldn't speak untruth. And I pray that we would know you more and more and more through this time of worship and through our fellowship and through through just being the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesse, you're running my slides, right? Okay. I'm going to start out. This is a uh, timer. I think I actually swiped it from the kitchen, although I may have bought this one myself. Uh, and I started it over. I started using this thing as a way of keeping track of how long I had spoken. Uh, Sunday morning is easily the fastest hour, or like, not hour, I never talk for that long. Uh, <laughs> The fastest uh, 22 minutes of my week <laughs> because I get up to do this and, like, I, I, love, I love talking about Jesus. I love looking at the scriptures. I love talking, you know, in general, I think. Uh, and so I just lose track of it. And, and the timer and the clock in the back and all that is, is they're there for a specific reason, and they, they help me. Uh, but not necessarily y'all. Um, the I, actually, I I worked at a church years ago, where there was a fellow who would stand in the back, and uh, the pastor there, his name was Jim, and if Jim went long, the guy would take off his watch and hold it up <laughs> as a reminder. And I I kind of wanted to start off talking about clocks and time for a second. I uh, I'm on this kick right now. I bought a new a new clock for my office. I've actually bought several clocks in the last few weeks. Um, I'm doing this app. It's a little like Noom for people with ADHD, where it like has like a daily training and like, hey, this is an area you can work on or try these tips or whatever. And uh, time management is one that's huge because, uh, I don't know, I'm late a lot. People who have this particular brain function, they're late a lot. They lose track of time. They, I mean, I'll have days I'll come into work at 6, and then at 2 in the afternoon I'll realize that I haven't eaten. Uh, or done any, like I've just sat at my desk and worked all day because I get so excited about what I'm working on. And it's easy just to become blind to time. And so one of the suggestions was that you surround yourself with clocks so that you're forced to see them. Um, I mean, it's a little suggestion in a large, like, lecture series. And I thought, that's neat. I should get clocks. And I, uh, I've been thinking a lot about clocks this week because I've been reading uh, in Mark. We're kind of picking back up in Mark. And, and the next couple of messages will be about the Sabbath. And, like, like, there's a whole cool thing going on with the Sabbath that's very similar to clocks. Um, because clocks, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that much. Like, but it means an awful lot. You look at it, and it'll tell you, oh, well, it's uh, 1137. Uh, or this one that I'm two and a half minutes into talking. Seems like forever, but only two and a half minutes. Um, but, like, this clock, it's just telling you where you are in relation to the sun. That's it. Isn't that weird? This is a geographical thing to tell you where you are in relation to the sun. And if you walk far enough in one or another direction, it is wrong, right? And that's actually how they would navigate once upon a time with ships before they had, like, fancy GPS. They'd have a watch, and they would use the watch next to the stars and the sun and everything else, and they would measure the difference between them. That's how they would know where they were on the earth because they'd moved in relation to the sun. Crazy, right? Um, but it's, 
ultimately, this means nothing. It's just a symbol of something. It's a symbol of, I need to be at work. It's a symbol of bedtime. It's a symbol of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've spent an hour trying to help Abby with one math problem and neither of us understands it. It is a symbol of something. And as we dive into um, Sabbath, there's a crazy thing that happens there. Sabbath is not like this crushing regulation. It is not a guilt thing. It's not a bunch of stuff that it gets turned into very quickly. It is a symbol of something awesome and a gift in the same way that time is kind of a gift we get. You know, some of us, you know, like we don't have as much. Um, You know, or some of us have have so much of it that we probably should find something to do with our time. Um, But it's really just a symbol of other things. Um, And so as we dive into... Our text today, we're going to come back to this clock thing over and over again, but um, understand as we talk about Sabbath, that Sabbath is um, like it's a law. It's in the Ten Commandments, right? Number two is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Um, So it's a law, but it is a law that points to something else. And the idea here is that um, throughout, like the scriptures, you see symbols being used over and over again. And there are a couple huge reasons for that that I wanted to touch on. First off, they're reminders. Right. Like God gives his people reminders over and over and over again so that they look at it and they know this is what I'm supposed to be doing or this is who I am or this is what God did for us or this is the suffering we experienced or whatever. Like there are all these symbols associated and like the reminders. The other thing that they do is they're memory triggers. Um, once upon a time, they would put these things. They're called matzavah, matzavah. My Hebrew is awful. And they were like pillars. And you would put them in different places, as the ancient Jews did. And so, like, they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land for the first time, and they've left the Exodus, and they're no longer wandering in the desert. And they set up 12 pillars. And those things are a reminder. So anybody who walks past those 12 pillars would look at them and say, oh, yeah, that is a thing. Like, that's where God crossed us out of slavery, out of our wanderings. And, like, our minds work very well by memory triggers, like, actually incredibly well by memory triggers, locations and items and everything else. And that's part of the reason you see them over and over again in the scriptures. Um, some of the huge ones you see in the Old Testament, I mentioned the, the massive oak, uh, the pillars. You also have circumcision. Like, Jewish people don't get circumcised for the joy of being circumcised. Got it? It is a symbol of being cut off from the rest of the world. And one is really hard to forget. You're reminded of it every day, generally, if you're a guy. Um, Like, it is there. It makes you different. Uh, They would practice, they would celebrate the Passover, right, to remind themselves that God brought them out of slavery. Um, And actually, we as believers look at the Passover, and there are symbols all over that to tell us about Jesus, right? Um, The tabernacle is like God's presence with his people in the desert. And, like, it's a temporary presence in the same way that the presence in the desert is temporary. And so God lived in a tent with his people as they traveled the desert. And it was a symbol of God's presence amongst them. And it was a symbol of something that existed in heaven, like we learn in the book of Hebrews. We're not going to get into that right now. But that was the tabernacle. And actually, it was also a symbol of Jesus, who was God who stepped into human form, the tent of humanity, right? This temporary existence on earth to do his work. Um, like that is what the, you know, it's the tabernacle, um, rainbows. God put his bow in the clouds to remind us that he wouldn't drown us. Um, the dietary laws, every time everybody, you hear this talk about a lot, like, oh, it's crazy that, you know, they couldn't eat shrimp, right? But it was a symbol 
a reminder for them, we don't eat that because a shrimp is like a spider, but it's also a fish. So it's neither one or the other. You can eat spiders and you can eat fish, but you can't eat something in the middle because you need to remember you're Jewish. You're not a pagan. You're not a member of the world. And this is a reminder that you would get every time you ate. I'm not like everyone else. I'm set apart for God's purpose. I can't stand in the middle. Uh, One fabric versus another, like the priestly robes, daily sacrifices, all of these things were symbols. And finally, the Sabbath itself is a symbol. Um, I had a picture, and I'm actually running a little later than I thought, so I'm going to go through this. Not really going to talk about it, but like... Like in the time of Christ, they had these, these symbols. They would wear a phylactery, a little box on their forehead. And so the Pharisees would walk around with a little box with the Ten Commandments in it, like strapped to their forehead as a reminder that they're supposed to follow the Ten Commandments. It's plain as the nose on your face. Or they tie it around their arm. And actually, they still do this. If you um, see Hasidic Jews, when they do their morning prayers, they wrap a little leather, leather strap. And it's a reminder that they're to, like, they're to be guided by the Ten Commandments, that they're bound by God's law. Um, Anyway, I'm not going to get into all these. I really wanted to. This is a fun topic, very exciting, but I can't. Sabbath. Well, what is Sabbath a symbol of? Well, first off, for the Jews, it stated outright. Like, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rested, right? And so when they would take a day off, they would remember, like, hey, if God rests, I probably should, right? Like, I need to take a break every once in a while. I have a minister friend who said that to me had me read a passage in uh, the Gospels where Jesus ministers all day and then goes and takes a break. And he's like, yeah, hey, if Jesus had to take days off, you should too. <laughs> it's a hard argument, right? But it's a reminder. God ordered the creation. He made this world on purpose. And so you take a day off and you say, oh, God ordered the world. God designed it a certain way. Everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. It is all with intent and purpose and reason. And that is amazing. Um, and, and we need to rest. Like, within the commandments, it teaches us about God. Like, and I didn't notice this until very recently. The first commandment is love God more than anything else. And the second one is remember that God created you, and he created you. He created you. <laughs> I've never, I've been using this stupid microphone forever, and I've never had that happen. Um, he created you with. <laughs> now I got a handy reminder not to put my hand in my pocket. Uh, it's a very bad public speaking thing, anyway. Um, but like the commandments, it reminds you like there is only one God, and you're to treat Him like God, and you're supposed to take time to spend with Him. You're supposed to set aside a time to be with Him. Um, God's creation of the world, like I said, uh, are being made in God's image. Therefore, if God works, we take a day and takes a day off. So do we, because we're in God's image. Um, it reminds us. anything halfway. I do plenty of things wrong, though. So, you know how much I hate talking into microphones? Like this kind of microphone? It's really hard for me. All right. So you got all of these things that are assembled. I really want to get into all of them. I I can't. Um, One other thing that's actually really important is the value of people. Now, here's the deal. It is easy to stop thinking about people like they're people, right? 
Like it's easy to think of them as customers or enemies or pagans or Democrats or Republicans or um, white people or black people or, or natives or, or not Americans or Californians. Ugh. Um, but in reality, they're all people at the end of the day. Nothing separates them from not being people. And as we look at the commandment, the commandment isn't just you take a day off. It's give a day off even to your like foreigners who don't believe in God. And the reason is because we all have value before God and we're to treat each other with that degree of value. Like the Sabbath brought with it for the ancient Jews so many like weighty symbolic things. And it's a little like, again, this is the clock that sits in my office over my desk. It ticks. It drives me nuts. Right? I have yet to bury it. But um, it does annoy me because it ticks. And if I'm trying to think and it's just... And it's got better rhythm than me, and so it's judging me. It's awful. But the Sabbath is a reminder, the same way that the clock is a reminder. Eric, you do have to make dinner today. Eric, you do have to pick the kids up from school. Eric, you do have to do this this morning. Eric, you got a phone call in an hour. And it tells me, it reminds me, it is a symbol of something that is taking place in my world, and I have to pay attention to it. Sabbath is the same way. Winding her fingers at me as the clock move on, Eric. All right. I'll jump ahead here. So, Mark 2.23, we are picking up in uh, the book of Mark. Uh, again, written by, or it's actually written by Mark, but it's Peter's account. Um, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields as his disciples walked along and began to pick some heads of grain. Now... In ancient Israel, there was a system by which poor people were fed by the community. It was um, farmers were like it was the rule. If you were a farmer, you didn't cut the edges of your field or the corners or whatever. And that wheat was there. It was left. And like if you were poor and you couldn't like afford food, you would go out and you would collect it up and you would eat the grain straight. I've tried it. It's not, you know, it's not great. Um, but it'll it'll feed you, right? And so they're walking along through this field, they, you know, and they're they're like getting the they're doing the threshing thing without a combine, and they're eating the grain because they are hungry, right? They are harvesting, ooh, and in a very like Jewish sense of the word, they're violating the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath, and right there, some of Jesus' enemies were present. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, before we go further, like here's the big idea. The ancients, like they had misunderstood this symbol of the Sabbath in a very real way, in a way that's very similar to how they misunderstood Jesus. The Sabbath had gone from a day off to do it or else. Got it? Um, Here's one of the clocks I picked up last week. It is my do it or else. It's going to go by the TV in the living room so that I don't forget. It is the big angry clock that points at me and says, Eric, what are you supposed to be doing while you're wasting time? Right? That's what the Sabbath had become. It had become an oppressive, giant, blinking, don't enjoy life, obey God or else. You like my clock? It was a good illustration. I... (laughs) 
walked through town carrying it. I really hope that I got some funny looks. I didn't see any. Um, so they, they misunderstood Christ because they turned the Sabbath into this giant weight. Um, what do I mean by that? Uh, well, actually, how did it became, come that way? Like, what do I mean? During the exile, there was no temple. And so the Jews gathered up and they say, what does it mean to be a Jew if you can't sacrifice, right? And as they discussed it, they started saying, well, we need to become like a nation of priests and we need to be holy, which is what God commanded them to do, not necessarily to follow the priestly rules. But they said, you know what, in order to really do great, we're going to follow all of the priestly rules, right? Even the ones that don't apply to my life. And because they weren't designed for everyday life, they had to come up with ways to make them work. And so the rabbi sat down and began to argue and debate and come up with guidelines and everything else. It was called the gloss. It is the layers on top of the law that tell you how to obey the law. And they still do this to a degree. I read that there was a rabbinical debate as to how to obey Sabbath in orbit around the earth. What Sunday, if Sunday lasts a minute, right? Like, how do you exactly, when sunrise, so you can do your morning prayers? And they actually came up with that because you don't want to take God off while you're in space, right? Like, that is the last place you want to get in trouble. Like, a minor mistake means you die. Um, And so they created all of this gloss. And one of them was the Sabbath because the Sabbath was a huge deal in the exile. And so they'd say, well, we have to obey the Sabbath and we've got to do it perfectly because otherwise God might exile us again. How do you obey the Sabbath? Well, can you work no of course not if i was a farmer can i sit out and look at my combine no because it'll make you think of work and that'll turn into work Ooh. what if i have to pick something up that i dropped on the floor how heavy is it and they came up with an like a weight for picking stuff up you can't make your bed you can't um travel any distance actually but then they said well wait a minute if i can't travel more than five miles how do i determine from where and they're like, well, wherever you keep your food. And so people would start storing their food in town away from their home so they could travel further. Right? That makes sense. Um, like, like all of you say, you couldn't prepare food. If a person came to you injured, you could not treat them. If they came to you and they were bleeding to death, you could do just enough that they would not die until tomorrow. And then you can treat them. I'm not kidding. Um, there were groups, the Essenes the guys who gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls, who would not go to the bathroom on the Sabbath, lest it be difficult and turn into work. That was real. I'm not making it up. These guys took this so seriously. Can you imagine how it would be, take a day off, but don't you dare enjoy it, right? Don't you dare do anything fun. Don't you dare, you know, like walk as carefully as you can because you don't want to mess up. And so they began to come up with workarounds. And the workarounds were crazy, like storing your food somewhere else or, you know, or whatever. It didn't make any sense, but they were trying to figure out how to lighten the weight that they were carrying. Um, And so as we come to this, like, so he said, well, wait a minute. Why are your guys eating? They're hungry. I don't care that they're hungry. They can be hungry. It's the Sabbath. Don't enjoy it. Be hungry until tomorrow and suffer for God. And Jesus answers, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, what's going on here? 
this is the point in time when Saul has decided he's going to murder David. Not murder. I guess he just kill him. He's the king. Um, but he's decided he's going to kill David, so David runs away. Right? Takes his men with him, and they take off so they don't get killed. And he shows up at, this, at the temple, and he goes in, and his men are shaking because they are starving. They haven't eaten in days because they're on the run. And the priest sees them, and he's like, all right, dude, can you feed us? And he's like, well, what are you doing here? He's like, well, the king sent me, meaning God, not Saul. The king sent me, and I'm on a mission. And we haven't eaten because we don't have any food with us. Can you feed me? And the king or the high priest says, well, we have this bread, the show bread or the bread of the presence. It was bread that was kept in the presence of God in the temple at all times. This loaf of bread or actually in the tabernacle. It was always right there in the presence. And it was like a rule. Every certain number of days you would change it out with hot bread. And the only people who could eat it were the, the priests. By the way. The showbread is Jesus. Got it? The bread of the presence, in God's presence, the bread of life, is Jesus. Period. Like, this is actually a whole story about Jesus. And so Jesus points at this story about himself, and it's kind of awesome. Um, I'm not going to read the whole text. I don't have time. I probably could have read it. It would have been faster. Um, the big important line here, I love this. So he... The priest weighs it and decides, yeah, I can feed you this bread because it's more important to preserve life than to preserve the holiness of this bread. And David responds, or, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is in an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the bread. For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day when it is taken away. So the priest breaks the rules to feed them. But now watch this. Oh, man, I really want to dig into it. Well, wait, we'll come to it. So he tastes this bread that's illegal to eat any other day and gives it to them, and they eat it. And then he gets, like, Goliath's sword and armor, which is weird. But we'll come back to that on a day that isn't this year. Um So first off, Jesus has made a loaded statement. He's like, hey, remember when David ate the bread? Right? Remember when David did this? Um, First off, David may have lied. He may have told the truth. uh, But really, finally, it's really difficult to say. Uh, I imagined I'd have more time to get into that. But I took forever to get to this. Um, There are several Jewish laws that come into play here. Anything that's holy is holy. It's not for you. You don't even touch it. The Ark of the Covenant, there's like this account where it's falling off a cart and somebody grabs it and pushes it back on and drops dead. And the message was, God doesn't need your help. Wow. Right? Like you did not play with this stuff. There were guys who went in, um, priests who went in and like used the candles the wrong way in worship. And they dropped dead. They were consumed by fire, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Um like there are all sorts of examples, like like anything related to the tabernacle and to the Holy of Holies is super serious and it is super preserved. However, there is a contrast law that is anything that preserves life is more important than any other law. So you could violate the Sabbath to rescue a man who was drowning. Right. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It's really a story about a priest who's on his way to do his priestly duty, and he sees a man laying in the road, and he says, if I help that guy, I'll be unclean. I won't be able to do my job as a priest. Better that I don't help him. That's what happened. The Levite is the exact same part of it. 
the, these guys who were so worried about being holy that they couldn't serve God. And ultimately the rule is, hey, preserve life, more important. Hungry man, feed him. Um, there's another thing there. The priest can interpret the law, and the priest determines, hey, we should feed you guys. Now, here's where it gets really cool. They're on a holy mission. David would look at every job he did as a mission for God, right? He was getting the band back together all the time. Everything was a mission from God. And they were on their way to do important stuff, even if it's just running away so they don't get killed. And so he said, hey, my men are holy, and we treat them like holy all the time because everything in their life is holy, and they'll be even more holy now because they ate the holy bread. There's a little cool thing there for us, right? We are born again, made new, sons of God adopted, and we consume Christ when we carry him in us, when we fill ourselves with the word. We are holy containers carrying really holy stuff. It's kind of awesome, right? Um, But that is his line there. Hey, I'm on a mission from God. It doesn't matter. It's more important to do the mission. Um, There's a bunch of symbolism in this. First off, the bread, as I said earlier, it is Christ. Secondly, David is the son-in-law of the king. And actually, because he's already been anointed by Saul, he is the, the true king. And so when he steps in and violates the holiness laws, he can do that because he's a king, right? They wouldn't let an ordinary guy come in and eat the bread. They let the king do it, the son of the king. Catch the symbols? Like it is like David puts himself out or Jesus puts himself out there. He is, he is Christ there. He's saying, listen, the king and the son of the king are both welcome to eat. And I can eat and I can do what I want because... I'm in charge. And I'm not sure if the Pharisees would have caught this. This is way out at 10,000 feet. It's easier to see these details, right? But he says to him, he says, hey, look, like David ate bread on the Sabbath. Why can't I? And he goes on. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What does that mean? First off, Two statements. We're going to go backward. The Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. I'm God, is what Jesus said. I'm not saying it. Please don't hear me saying that. Do not misquote me. Um, Jesus is saying, I'm God. I am God. I am the Son of God. I am King. I am the Son of the King. I can do what I want. I The Sabbath came about because the world was created through me. That's in John, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, through him, all things were created for him, you know, like, like and nothing was created apart from him. Like, the Sabbath exists because of Christ. And so if Christ says, hey, this is how we're doing Sabbath, guess what? We're going to do it that way, right? My daughter, I love dearly, but she will oftentimes step up in our home and say, all right, this is what we're doing. And she'll give out rules. She gives me rules. And I, that drives me nuts. I'm like, honey, you can't give me rules. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. This is my house. I'm your parent. You do what I say, not the other way around. She has not gotten any of that yet. I said I wouldn't make fun of my kids, but that was all just the truth. Um, when we tell God what we're going to do with the Sabbath, we're failing. When we miss the point of the Sabbath, when we turn the Sabbath from a blessing To a crushing weight, we miss the point. When rest is a thing that we regret or dread, we miss the point. When work dominates life and we abandon our wife and kids for it, guess what? 
we've missed the point. We were not created to work. We were created to enjoy God. And work is a part of enjoying God. I had to work it in a second time because it's a funny illustration. I'm going to wear it around my neck all week like a rapper from the 80s. At one point, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is Matthew 11. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. By the way, because Jesus is in the presence of God at all times, the bread of life in the presence of God at all times, just like the David story, right? Um, and Christ reveals God to those he chooses, to us, to the disciples, to those who are under his lordship, who belong to him. Come to me. Now watch this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke in ancient Jewish talk was the teaching of a rabbi. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, are you tired? Have you spent your life trying to work to be good enough? Um, I was around a young man a few weeks ago who... Uh, I have known for years and he was talking and I realized as he was talking that he was telling all of these things just trying to get everybody in the room to admire him because I, I know him and I don't think anybody's ever really admired him openly and he's just dying for it, right? I've known people who chase after love everywhere they go and are desperate. Just please, please approve of me. Please love me. Please care about me. Um, we live in a world full of people who are trying to earn their way to heaven, trying to be just better than you, right? Um, how many of y'all ever say yes to doing something because you feel guilty if you say no? God will hate me if I don't serve on the Sunday school committee. It's, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm really happy Stephanie's not in here. She would, we need Sunday school people, but... <laughs> Um, but you get what I'm saying? If I don't do a little more, I'm failing God. That's not rest. That's work. And if you plan to achieve status with God by saying, I, I'm going to do just a little more of this thing, you, you're wasting your time. God's approval is found in Christ. And in Christ, we find rest for our weary souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's he saying? He's saying, don't pick up a whole lot of weight and rules and regulations and gloss and nonsense to try and earn your way to heaven. Just know me. I, uh, I, I appreciate my wife because she loves me despite the fact that I'm kind of a screw-up and despite the fact that I'm a slob. I am. I know it's a shock. Despite the fact that I'm late for everything and I get obsessed with crazy stuff and I'm really loud. My wife is a quiet person. She doesn't like loud people. And yet somehow she loves me. And there's a part of me in the back of my head like sometimes it thinks, man, I really got to hustle a little harder because I'm going to screw up. Like I'm, I'm probably falling behind. But like I can't earn my wife's love. She loves me because she loves me. Right? There's freedom in that. I can be her husband and I can love her back and just act like a lover instead of trying to be the best husband ever. And then it'll just come naturally. What Jesus is saying here is like when Jesus came and obeyed the law perfectly for us, he carried the weight of the law on his back. He carried the weight of our sin on his back when he went to the cross. And he did it so that we can have rest. 
He did it so that we can be fed with the bread of life when we're hungry. That we don't have to worry about that's holy and that's holy because we're holy too. Because we're filled with Christ. We're made new. We're vessels of the Holy Spirit. And it is amazing. Like the story of the Sabbath, I, I struggle with this idea because I don't like resting. I don't like sitting still. Um, I don't like not working. Uh, I took the day off yesterday properly, and I spent the whole day um, cleaning and, and doing odds and ends around the house because I, I can't sit still. It makes me crazy. And there's a part of me that's like, man, I'm really supposed to not be working. But you know what? I, if I'm spending time with Jesus and I'm praying and I'm enjoying the life that I have, that's kind of rest, right? It's awesome. Um, so what do we do with this? Like, how does this Sabbath thing work? I actually skipped my third point because I was getting uh, pressured by the clock in the back, which is the biggest clock in the building. Um, even bigger than that one. Um, first off, application-wise, what are the nuts and bolts of this? If Christ is our Sabbath rest, right? The book of Hebrews says that, that Christ is our Sabbath rest, that Christ came, he died, so that we don't have to work our way to heaven. Christ is our rest. If Christ is our rest, then a day of the week doesn't matter. By the way, Sabbath is Saturday, not Sunday. Got it? Sunday is the first day of the week. Because when Christians began to worship and, like, figure out what the church would be, they said, well, wait a minute. Resting on the seventh day is one thing, but Christ, his resurrection is our rest. And so we'll rest on Sundays. And we'll worship on the day that he was resurrected. And Paul addresses it and says, hey, good on you guys. Do what you want is basically what it comes down to. Take a day of rest. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be Thursday. It doesn't have to be whatever. The idea is take a day to spend with God. If my wife, if I take her out to dinner once in a while and she complains because it's on Friday, not Tuesday, we have a problem, right? Like, we're happy to spend time together. Or I'm happy to spend time with her, I assume. That's the other way around, but probably not. <laughs> um, this is not a salvation issue. Everybody got it? There's a spiritual health issue. If you do not rest, you will break down. If you do not spend time with your children, your relationship with your children will dissolve. If you do not spend time with your wife, your marriage will suffer, right? If you do not spend time resting, you will get sick. As one pastor told me, if you do not take Sabbath, Sabbath will take you. And you'll have to lay down and drink NyQuil. Um, and so this is the idea. The idea of taking a Sabbath day is to remind us, Christ died for me. It's to remind us, I wasn't made to work. I was made to enjoy the gifts that God has given me, and I'm going to take a day to do it. It's a day to enjoy your family because they're a gift from God. It is a day to be in God's presence, like in general. Does work, is that allowed? I think sometimes it is. I think some kinds of work are restful. Um, but if every day is drive combine day, if every day is book work day, if every day is clock in, clock out, then you're missing the point. Um, Jesus himself is our Sabbath rest. And so if we're going to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, it is remember a day that belongs to Jesus and give it to him. I, for a while, I had a habit where I would always answer the phone no matter what. I'd brag about it. I always answer the phone no matter what. Day off, I would answer the phone. Date with my wife, answer the phone, et cetera. Vacation, answer the phone. I was making my work something that I idolized, something I was taking pride in, and in reality, neglecting rest, 
neglecting Christ through my Sabbath rest was the problem, and it damaged me spiritually. Um, We're commanded and gifted rest, meaning it's not an obligation, but it is, right? It's not an obligation, but it is. Um, If date night becomes an obligation, I'm doing date night wrong, or I'm having to go see rom-coms or the notebook or something. Um, If it becomes something I dread, I'm doing it wrong. If my baptism or communion or my wedding ring or anything else becomes this, I'm failing. Christ is our rest. Christ is our time of regeneration and being made new. And finally, like when we rest, part of the idea is we're supposed to celebrate salvation. When I preach, one of the things I try to do, I always talk about Jesus dying for us. I always talk about being made new, how he took our sins on himself. Because, like, this is, this is Sabbath for a lot of people. This is the day we talk about Jesus. And you need to remember, Jesus died so that you don't have to work your way to heaven. You weren't going to get there anyway that way, right? Might as well try to walk to the moon. Um, it is our time with Christ. And it is a reminder that God created the world in order and we're supposed to follow that order, which is crazy. If you do things God's way, it works really well. Sometimes we get confused. Um, I close on this. I have a chop saw in my office, right? Or not in my office. It's actually in the storage room downstairs. And it is about a degree off. And it is the most frustrating thing in the world because I'll try to cut an angle, like, or, you know, a square. And you know what happens? not square and when i do it with really long boards it's obvious right because the further out i get the more messed up it is this is an area this rest thing this spending time with jesus thing if we get it wrong it's not going to destroy your salvation but your angle is going to be off and the further off you get the longer you maintain that wrong direction the more broken your spiritual life will be the more broken your relationships will get the more exhausted you'll get the more you'll resent things because you felt too guilty to say no right Rest is the essence of it. When we take our rest days, when we make them into something that we spend with Jesus, we do what David said, right? How much more today will this vessel, with this day, will I be if I fill it with Christ? If I consume the bread of life? I'm going to close in prayer. My challenge for you today is, I know I, the tyranny of the clock um, some of you all got your naps in already, Jim. He smiled. I just wanted to see if he was actually awake. <laughs> Rest in Christ, guys. Rest in Christ. You feel ashamed. You feel guilty. You feel miserable. You feel broken. You feel whatever. Turn it over to Christ and rest in him. You worried about tomorrow? Let him control it. Let him have it. Just find rest in your Savior. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you'd help us to escape the, the tyranny of the clock and the tyranny of, of legalism and the tyranny of salvation through obligation. And I pray that you'd help us to find rest in just celebrating Christ in our lives. Help us to find rest in knowing you and walking with you and being filled with you. Help us to feast on the bread of life and be holy containers that go out on our work days and and demonstrate you to the world. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.